Welcome to the Aussie Runner Podcast, a chance to take some time out with people who love running as much as you. Hi, I'm Damon Roberts. And I'm Jeremy Francis, and a warm welcome to everyone listening in as we're back covering the great Run Against Violence virtual challenge for 2021. We certainly are, Jez, and this event is raising awareness for family violence issues in local communities right across Australia, where teams of walkers and runners cover 1,300 kilometres, which is the distance from Broken Hill to Sydney and over 1.6 million steps. That's right, Damo, and I'm very glad uh, in this episode to report that we've finally managed to get off our backsides and enter a team, our own team, into the virtual challenge, and we are the ARP, Aussie Runner Podcast, Ravers. So, Damo, what do you think our chances are of taking the win this year? Pretty slim, pretty slim pickings, to be honest, Jez, because the the sales process was a little bit like how they used to get people onto boats in the 1800s, uh, getting them drunk and, um, and and they wake up on the boat. I think I seem to remember you saying it was going to be 13 kilometres and a few a few steps. Seems like it was a bit more than that, given what we know about the show now. But yeah, look, we've we've got we've got the um, we've got the odd squad together. Yeah, that's a good description for it, uh, and it's great to see all the teams being represented on social media. Um, All we've got to do now, Damo, is get um, some photos together so we can do the traditional uh, RAV virtual challenge pick collage, which I'm sure we'll be able to organise in the next couple of weeks. Now, in the last episode, we spoke to Margie Lewis from Taree up on the mid-north coast, and we talked to her about her own experiences supporting children who've been victims of family and domestic violence. And we heard a really inspiring story about her own personal achievement in overcoming MS. And Jess, we've talked a little bit about the myths surrounding family violence, that victims are only women, and looking at the much broader landscape of victims and survivors. Following on from Margie's experience, we have Matt Van Arkel with us today to explore the theme of kids and family violence. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Now, Matt, you're a lawyer who's worked specifically in the field of child protection and adoption law, and you've done that across a few jurisdictions in Australia. What's it like to do this type of job? What are the highs and lows you experience day to day in the role that you do? Yeah, you talk about highs and lows. There's definitely both those. Uh, I find that they're quite extreme as well. Uh, you have the highest of highs and sometimes uh, some quite lows. It can be quite uh, emotionally draining at times as well. And I tip my hat to anybody who uh, works in the, the sphere as well in terms of um, as case managers and, and, and supports as well. Uh, but I'm on the more on the legal side of things. And I think I'll start with the, the lows and then we'll build up to the highs because I'm a bit more of a positive person. Um, I think reading some of the, the sensitive material that, you know, you have to read through and, and, and hearing about some of the stories that uh, some of these children face can be quite uh, confronting. And, and I guess as well, it can be a bit discouraging sometimes seeing this, uh, I guess, this cycle of abuse that, uh, that kind of continues and continues. You see children who've been uh, victims of uh, domestic violence. Sometimes they, they grow up and they also become later perpetrators of domestic violence. So that can be quite a, uh, that can be quite, I guess, a, a sad thing to see. Uh, but that, there, are, it's high, there are highs as well and there are positives. I guess for me, I, I, 
uh, I feel valued and I enjoy making a difference. And if I'm able to do that in one child's life, then uh, then that's a that's a bonus. Um, and so being able to use my work to do that is is rewarding. Um, and I think uh, one of the messages you know that I'd like to share today is is a, is a story about like resilience. And I think um, that is that is one of the the things that I have seen in in my work is that. Um, there are certainly children and families who faced a lot of suffering um, because of family violence and domestic violence, but um, there are certainly uh, stories that come from that about um, children who've learned to overcome or, or, or families who've learned to um, really put in place, you know, measures to, to get them out of that cycle. Um, so so there, are, there are highs and there are lows uh, in every day's work. Yeah, I imagine... That is quite a challenging environment, and as you say, both good and bad in there. But how prevalent is family violence across Australia when it comes to children and teenagers? We heard that I think one in five people broadly are impacted by domestic violence. Do you have any numbers that paint a picture for what's occurring, and you know, to the the extent to which it does? Yeah, I, I guess it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that it's it's uh, it's growing the numbers of uh, children and families who are um, reporting uh, domestic violence incidents, um, and especially, I mean, I'm speaking to you from lockdown. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, March 2020, we saw, um, and this was across Australia, there was huge numbers of um, reports coming in of, of domestic violence situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's certainly been growing. Um, I think I've I've got some stats that you know are fairly publicly uh, available, um, so you can probably find them. But uh, about two thirds of uh, of mothers who have been reportedly victims of some form of family violence um, say that their children had seen or heard that uh, an incident involving domestic violence. So you're talking about uh, again a, a significant number of children being exposed to that. Um, yeah, I mean, I know there's a there's a there's a uh, there's a report being done, I think, by a university in Queensland. Um, it's in a couple of years uh, been going on for, so that'll be interesting when that comes out. But unfortunately, as well, it's it's hard to give you some of the stats because um, it's just not an area that's always reported. Um, you know, police aren't particularly uh, going to be you know volunteering that information, and and we also know that um, that. The, like victims of uh, domestic violence often don't want to come forward. Um, mm. There's a number of you know reasons for that, whether that be, uh, I guess, like a shame or, or I guess a, a, a fear of uh, what might happen often. And, and you talk especially about children, um, you know, if, if somebody discloses a domestic violence incident, there's often a, a fear that they'll have their children taken or removed from them. Uh, because of that so it is hard to give you the stats but uh, I mean there are a few out there but we do know it's a growing issue. One of the things we've um, picked up as a a theme through the discussions we've had so far is um, you can be sitting anywhere in Australia a lot of the locations we talked about so far haven't been um, kind of in a city more more rural and and out of town but um, sitting there just as you are normally and then some of the people we spoke to said and i you know a different time i had my buff on or had my t-shirt on my rav t-shirt or my rav buff and someone would come and walk up to them and talk to them and so um some of this promotional material is allowing people to talk about it yeah any thoughts as to why that might be from from your perspective because it certainly doesn't happen when you know it's just a 
person without a buff or a t-shirt yeah i mean that's interesting i think um i think it's perhaps not as taboo perhaps as it might used to might used to have been i Mm. think there's a bit more of a growing uh understanding that domestic violence isn't just um limited to you know one particular pocket of people or or anything like that 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 there are people across Australia, um, whether you know metro or, or um, in the country or, or anything in between, um, that are that have been um, subjected to some form of family violence. So I think, uh, and I think as well, there's a lot of uh, positive work being done in, especially that um, non-government space. Uh, you, you talk about sort of organisations like uh, White Ribbon, for instance, that have really got quite a public profile. I think. Um, it's it's bringing again public awareness to this issue which is which is so important i think one of the challenging things is you know we've spoken to um you know a couple of very brave women on the podcast who've talked about how difficult it is for them to actually speak out and and help themselves in those situations and when you think about that from the perspective of a child um that that's got to be you know even even harder um, so, it, so it certainly kind of adds a different element to um, some of the stories we've heard so far. One of those common themes, though, in the conversations, Matt, that we've had, you know, across the different podcast episodes we've done for Rav, is that each person we speak to has that one story or, or two kind of really key stories that have changed them as a person. Um, you know, have you got a couple of stories that maybe stood out for you in the role that you've done? You've, you've obviously seen many, um, but the ones that have left a lasting impression on you personally? Yeah, sure. Uh, I could I could think of two off the top of my head. Uh, one one was a uh, two two young boys, probably probably three and, and five at the time that I began work on their matter. They were uh, again they were exposed to a horrendous domestic violence incident where um, their father um, basically beat their mother to the point where she was almost almost passed away it was one of the most severe i guess uh, instances of domestic violence i've ever seen and 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 the file notes in relation to that incident were were tough to read and, and very difficult to get out of my my mind um mum in particular once she had was released from hospital in that incident uh, in that instance made a made a comment um that she viewed the eldest boy as her guardian angel uh, this is the sort of the the i guess the uh, the, the how she viewed the situation was that yeah. um, the, the young that her five-year-old boy essentially was her guardian angel was she he was protecting her when 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 dad was committing these these terrible like, instances of violence and I think that's that's one comment that has stuck with me forever is is trying to picture and comprehend yeah. you know a mother who is so helpless that she views her five-year-old boy as, as her saving guardian or guardian angel um, we uh, again, where where I used to work, that was a um, a family that uh, th- those boys, um, because of the situation, eventually were placed in foster care. Um, and my understanding was that they they were in foster care for a couple of years before their then carers adopted them. So there was a, a positive outcome in that case. Um, but I, I I think I think those boys will probably live. Um, and, and this youngest, I think, sorry, the eldest boy was witness to this incident. I think um, we've seen that that is something that will live long in, in his memory. And, and I think there are, um, there are, I guess, signs in, in some of those young boys that of a, of a delay or, um, uh, I guess, behavioural things that are not surprising given what they've witnessed. But 
um, the fact is that you know that they've been able to um, live in now, I guess, a, an environment. Mum actually, in this matter, signed a consent to that adoption, so she actually viewed that as a, as the best outcome for the boys in that moment. Um, so in in that in that respect, it was a great outcome, but uh, coming from a, a pretty tough place. And imagine imagine the um, you know the pain and and anguish and you know for the mother who's already had already been through such a traumatic incident then having to protect her children by you know effectively putting them in a in a very different environment um it's, it's a it's, it can only imagine a very traumatic situation to be in i think also jez i'm just looking at it and going i've got a three-year-old and i never thought until i had a three-year-old that they could comprehend so much and understand and engage and be involved in everything that's going on in a household and and have such a memory and I think what strikes me about that is that's a child two years on from that. And so there's no doubt a lot of that has sunk in, sunk in in one way or another. Um, and that just, um, you know, if I, if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have really understood that. I would have thought, okay, you know, a few years later, six or seven year old won't remember anything. They'll be okay. Yeah. But that's totally not the case. Matt, you mentioned, um, you mentioned there were two stories. Yeah, um, the the second one was uh, it was five children um, who were with their mother and, and father. Um, this the mother and father's relationship was one that was um, uh, characterized by uh, drug and alcohol misuse and, and domestic violence as well, um, and and mental health concerns. Uh, we often find that between those three things, uh, that's often one of the leading causes of. Uh, you know, why uh, maybe a, a, a child protection or community services needs to become involved. Those And they're often quite linked. But um, in this case, there were, there were concerns about uh, those three things. Um, there were five children. The eldest was 16 years old. And the other four were between the ages of about four and 10, I think, off the top of my head. Um, and I spoke earlier about resilience. This 16-year-old uh, girl had some of the most incredible resilience I've ever seen in, in a child. Um, this was a girl who was, uh, because of her, her parents being unable to uh, look after the rest of the children, she was cooking, she was cleaning, she was washing, and she was bathing her four younger siblings almost on a daily basis. Um, but uh, of she was especially aware of, I guess, the, the domestic violence concerns. And um, she actually, uh, when, when there were um, when the case manager later spoke to this girl about what you know would happen when there were domestic violence moments in the house or whether mum and dad had um, engaged in some fighting, um, this girl had made up a game for her younger siblings, particularly the two youngest ones, where um, you know if they were to hear crashing and banging and, and loud noises and holes in walls, um, the children would go to hide in their beds because they knew that mum and dad couldn't touch them there and they would hide. For as long as they needed and it was i mean having read some of this stuff was it was insane to read um that not only that this girl had to basically parent her four uh, younger siblings but that she had come up with i guess strategies um to to deal with this violence it shouldn't i mean you know no no 16 year old should ever have to you know think about that i mean i'm 27 i, I don't know how to cook and clean and wash and <laughs> do all that stuff for the best of the times but just the resilience of this young girl 
to be able to, um, again, not only look after her young siblings, but also, I guess, yeah, be a parent to them is just incredible. Mm. Takes me some parallels there to Kylie's story that we heard about a few episodes back. Most of us know that no system is perfect, least of all the legal system. But do you feel that the protections offered to children by the legal system are improving? Are they in a position where we can all feel confident as Australians that our children are well represented? What options are available for young babies through to teens where they're in situations where violence is occurring yeah it's, it's a bit of a loaded a big question um i'd say it's it's definitely improving in terms of um the legal side of things i think um and for instance in any children's court proceedings across australia um my my understanding is that uh, an independent child representative is usually appointed in any case so what that means is that there's a there's a lawyer who's um whose sole, I guess, interest or sole um, purpose is to represent the interests of a child in any matter. So um, if it's appropriate and the child's, you know, of old enough age, they might have conversations with the child. Um, And again, in legal proceedings, uh, most of the legislation across Australia wide, um, the focus is on what is the best interest of the child. And so that is how the legislation is drafted and that's how it's interpreted by courts. Um, so there is that focus on the child um, and, and the views of the child as well are, are important. They're not always the most important thing because we know sometimes, you know, children might not be the most informed decisions, but they're certainly the views of the children are, are important and considered. Um, in particular, though, I think, one of the key things that we've seen in the last 10 years in, in Australia and across, this is across all states and, and territories, is um, of movement to recognising um, a child exposed to domestic violence or family violence as, as being of abuse. And that's given, I guess, a bit more um, uh, ability of the courts to see these situations uh, and, and interpret them and, and make decisions for children on that basis. So whereas in the past, you know, you, you might have to just show that uh, an abuse, for instance, uh, or, you know, a, an assault was a form of child abuse. It's now commonly more looked at as, as, as being, uh, you know, if you can show that a child has been exposed to violence between, for instance, a mum and a dad, um, that that is a form of child abuse. And so that opens up a few other doors when it comes to caring for children. Um, you asked as well about, uh, I guess, what options there are for, for, for children. Um, I mean, you can start off, I guess, kind of informally. Uh, there's things like um, safety plans, um, for instance. So a safety plan might be where a mother who is in a, uh, and I'm just using a mother as an example, not, not saying that, again, fathers might not be uh, victims of family violence, but for instance, say a mother is in a, uh, a relationship characterised by family violence, um, then they might implement a safety plan with either friends or family or, or a non-government organisation, which is essentially as what steps are they going to take when uh, you know, a partner becomes violent. Um, so that's an informal arrangement. And then you move to, I guess, more legal arrangements. So I guess most listeners have probably heard of things like uh, ADVOs or FVOs, so apprehended domestic violence orders or or family violence orders. Again, across states and territories, they're called fairly similar things, but they have different, different, uh, slightly different terminology. Um, And so those are things that are, those are often used as, I guess, tools to protect um, children in in domestic violence uh, 
situations. Um, they can be taken out by a parent who's concerned about a child or also the police as well. Um, but sometimes we find, I guess, there's a, there can be difficulties in enforcing them because it's reliant on uh, mum or dad uh, to actually call the police and say, no, this is happening and there's been a breach of that uh, AVO or ADVO. Um, and we know, seen in, in some cases where um, particularly mothers, mums, uh, although they take might take an, an ADVO or FEO, they, uh, they still continue to reside with a, an abusive uh, partner for whatever reason. Again, fear of, you know, uh, losing their child or maybe they don't have anywhere else to go. And, and, and so uh, is, sometimes there can be some, I guess, you know, uh, some issues with enforcing those, those orders. Um, and, I mean, you can go all the way to, I guess, the, um, the most serious of cases where, uh, um, you know, uh, it, the, the law is written to, you know, uh, basically where a child is at risk of significant harm or is in immediate need of um, care and protection. Uh, again, that's across states. It's, it's a slightly different wording, but um, mm. there, are, there are provisions where, um, as I was saying, domestic exposure to domestic violence is now considered um, something that can warrant removal of a child from that situation. And then um, you, you would be looking at things like kinship care for that child. So aunts and uncles mm. who can, um, grandparents who can care for the child temporarily. Um, you might be looking at, you know, foster caring or something like that as well. Matt, thanks for talking us through that. And look, it's, it's great to know that there's people like you out there helping our communities through the work that you do. Um, now, we also know that you're a keen runner with a bit of a park run addiction. So are you participating in the RAV Challenge this year? And what's the plan for completing all of your kilometres? Yeah, uh, definitely a keen park runner and pretty upset that lockdown has taken that away from me. Um, no, I'm part of the, uh, the Aussie runner podcast rivers team uh pleased to be joining you two gentlemen as we rack up the case for this great cause uh i'm currently on the one hour limit so i'm doing a whole lot of 59 minute and 59 second runs around my neighborhood uh so that's proving to be a little bit of a limiting factor but um look i'm hoping once maybe that gets uh that gets eased i'm able to uh join join and build some bigger k's and we can i was looking through we're like 150th and there's there's like groups doing 800 900 k's in a day it's ridiculous yeah look we, we probably weren't going to focus on that too much matt just exactly where we okay. sit in the rankings <laughs> <laughs> just so you know matt quite a lot's resting on you um and and getting past that hour mark so we will need a few 100k weeks uh or maybe even 200k's you can pack him in into a, a lot shorter time than it takes me to do that distance. I'm working on it. So Matt, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for getting involved in 2021 with the RAV Challenge and for helping raise awareness for domestic and family violence. Thanks, boys. Great to chat to you. Thanks for listening. If you've just heard something today that inspires you to action, head over to runningagainstviolence.com. Sign up to the RAV Virtual Challenge. You've still got time or donate to RAV and help us protect our local communities from the impact of family violence. If you or someone close to you is experiencing family violence, please talk to someone. You can call 1-800-RESPECT if you would like to talk to a professional service or if there's an immediate threat to your safety, call the police on 000.
isn't it really interesting to just get another angle on this you know fairly broad theme around domestic and family violence that we've been talking about demo and you know it's it's great to see that there's so many different parts of the community including things like our legal system and government that are starting to turn their attention to the problem totally and i think both of us each of those stories tugged at different things within us me in terms of the small child experiencing just traumatic family violence and and yourself in terms of a you know teenage girl basically picking up that responsibility and carrying uh, smaller children through yeah i must admit i reacted really hard to that second story and uh, there was a there was a notable absence of uh, the next follow-up question um after after matt had explained that one and you know i th- think it, it talks a lot also to um, the things that, that that Matt and the people that work in that environment see every day um, and you know that that must be just a it's an element of jobs that a lot of us you know just take for granted you know we we don't have to be exposed to that type of information and and it's another reason why I think maybe you know this is this is something that Kiralee describes as a taboo subject. Mm, very much so I, I did I did go to that myself um, you know a lot of people will think about um, people who work in ambulances or ER having these really confronting experiences or the you know support services um, but you know Matt's he's a he's a lawyer um, and you know he, he's processing that kind of stuff and, and it's fantastic that he's decided to um, you know spend his time and his career getting uh, involved in that kind of stuff and and putting himself in front of it because there's no doubt about it it's it's um, it's confronting but he's he's doing good. He's getting results. So yeah, that was great to to see a different, uh, a diff- another different perspective of um, of what family violence is doing out there and, and how it's influencing um, our law and uh, and and what how people can respond. Okay, so uh, now on to David Attrell's third update. And uh, this uh, we now had a, a few days, so it's going to be interesting to see where everyone is. Over to you, David. Hi, everybody. Well, it's now starting to hit home that run against violence is a daily basis. (laughs) 19 days, and we have managed to survive to day five. Now, I'll try not to make this all numbers, as out of the 3,969 ravers or pacemakers, only five commented that they liked seeing them on Facebook. Perhaps listening will be different anyways. In the last report, it was uh, for the first day, uh, ending midnight day one, surprisingly. And what has happened in the four days since then? Let's ignore world news, because a lot happens there. It was... uh, Fascinating to see how more lockdowns and restrictions this year have affected the kilometres. However, we can only play with inside the conditions we're dealt, and spoilers, today could be special. Now, I promise culture, and George Bernard Shaw put my thoughts today into words, Professor Higgins says of Eliza when she offers to pay for lessons. She offers me two-fifths of her day's income for a lesson. Two-fifths of a millionaire's income for a day would be somewhere about 
60 pounds. Handsome by George. It's enormous. It's the biggest offer I've ever had. So, in my opinion, it's not how many kilometers, but the effort made to make the kilometers, that this is a chance for accomplished runners and those who are coming uh, in, uh, normally at the pack, back of the field or back of the pack. Anyway, some numbers. Our numbers of participants has increased to uh, 3,969 as of the last message from Curly. The total kilometers at the end of day one were 23,000, and the day two, 52,000, and day three, 76,000, and yesterday, 99, no, day four, 99,000, and yesterday, 124,000. So basically about 25,000 a day. A, a definite cycle of some teams putting in kilometers early in the day and, and others catching them with evening kilometers or just people logging in just before midnight. So these are not exact statistics, really. Now, it's been a long haul, and no doubt you've gone through cycles of excitement and tiredness and hopefully not drudgery as the days have been passing. And this is a very important message we are making with our feet and words of mouth and in local newspapers and social media and, of course, the fabulous athletic warrior. But it is also supposed to be fun and supportive and a positive experience. I have uh, looked at the top 10 uh, on the leaderboard or so as at midnight last night. And I was a compared end of day one. So we have boat crew 1,492 kilometers last night and 464 day one. Finish what you started uh, 11.18 last night and 242. It'll be fun. Uh, 807 last night and 215 at the end of day one. Radelay drivers, 951 last night and 212. Holistic walkers, 1019 at the end of last night and 203 day one. Ah, oh, they there yet, 936 last night and 198 day one. Why not run? 929 last night and 183 day one. Then 106 people who might be doing something special today. 1006 last night and 180 on day one. And League of Kilted Athletes, 912 last night and 179. So you, you can see there's been a fair amount of progress in all those cases there. Uh, oh, and Friends of the Swiss Mountain Goat, 994 last night, 193 on day one. We have four. They've improved their positions. Um, Central Coast Mums, 1080, starting off at 152, day one. Um, Dead Ringers, 978, starting at 156. Uh, 180, Cadence, Picton, 943, 174. And Justice League, 846, 175. I've only set aside two hours to make this report, and it actually takes a lot of time because I keep on fiddling with spreadsheets. And in those two hours, I could have probably done another two kilometers walking at my speed. So it's pretty close to my time being up, except I would like to put in some random details as opposed to just the people at the top. So here are how 
number 25, 50, 75, 100, 125, 150, 175, 200, 225, and 250 on the league the board as at last night are going. And it's funny. It, it's unbelievable, actually, in some ways. People that I've already mentioned and people with similar names and lots of people who are just initials all, all turned out as it was. So, kiss my asphalt. All right, 7.24, they're at position 25. Uh, day one, they were at position 23. R-I-O-T, running is our therapy in Queensland. 6.39, and they're at position 50. Running out loud, 5.63 kilometres, position 75. Walkie-talkies two, 5.02, and they're at position 100. Riot asterisk ravids in New South Wales, 467, they're at 125. Motley Movers 2, 420, they're at 150. HMMs pacemakers, 378, they're at 175. Scrambled legs, I do love that one. 300, I'd love all of them, sorry everybody else, but I see. I've got scrambled legs this morning. 322, 320 rather, um, and they're on position 200. SDP, Ravheads, uh, position 225 at 251. And HSB, 135, and, and they're on position 250. Okay, so basically... The weather hasn't made too much difference. Roughly everybody's going brilliantly. Um, and quite a lot are going at a very similar pace for all five days. At that rate, at least 194 or five teams will make it to the uh, finishing time, which is pretty amazing. Um, and and uh, next time I'll give a shout out to the ones who are not doing quite so easily. If you want to see the leaderboard for day five, go on to the Facebook page and you'll see it where it says day five. In telling you. So I think uh, that's basically it. That's my time. Bye. Great to hear from David there, and now another team spotlight. Hi guys, I'm Rob Lloyd, ultra trail runner and athletics coach specialising in trail running. I'm just about to embark on a long journey, but first a big shout out to everyone participating in the challenge. It's quite a few original runners from 2017, which is just brilliant to see. So this afternoon, I'm going to start a 200 kilometre run on a 5k track in my local national park opposite my house in Port Macquarie. And after joining the League of Kilda Athletes last year for one day, 130K, um, which was actually part of doing uh, 400Ks in total with two teams, including my original team, M3PS, um, I decided to step it up this year for the um, challenge and, and do the whole 200 kilometres solo um, and set a new record. Anyway, this... Um, this run of mine is, is dedicated to Kira Lee and Brad and the whole team behind Run Against Violence. Um, now, the amount of work, time and effort that they have put into this project is absolutely phenomenal. And, um, you know, since its inception in 2017, this has just 
it's just crazy how big this thing has gotten um and it's so enjoyable just being part of of um of what they've they've managed to come through with here um what are we up to we're almost four thousand participants this year it's just it's it's mind-blowing anyway um uh, Kira Lee, Brad, you guys are just legends. <laughs> um, now, the um, the thirty odd hours that I'm about to spend on a fairly popular track, I should be able to spread the message about Rav um, quite a bit because there, there will be people that I'll be talking to out there um, as well. I think last time I checked, well, I was fundraising via Facebook, um, a link on the Facebook page, and last time I checked, I've raised about $780. So um, I'm going to try and do some live Facebook shout-outs and stuff while I'm out running, and hopefully I can boost that up a bit more. Anyway, I'll have a few paces joining me uh, for some socially distanced running, and um, it should be a great run for all that's, that are involved tonight and um, into the next day. Um, Kiralee asked me the other day, what's my motivation? And I can tell you after um, hearing some of the stories that have filtered through about domestic violence, especially ones from participants, um, it's just so moving and, and, and that's a driving force for me. Um, you know, in the dark hours, I'll be thinking about those guys. I mean, you know, the, the stuff they have to go through is, is just insane. So anyway, um, it's time to get ready and head out soon. So I look forward to seeing what everyone else achieves for the rest of the challenge. And um, big shout out to Kira Lee, mate. We love you. Now, Damo, I've really been enjoying Rachel Stanley from Run 180's updates and the different topics that she's been covering. Today, a really interesting topic. I know that there's a few members of our own RAV virtual crew that could talk to this one as, as almost subject matter experts. We're going to cover today what causes running injuries. Definitely a specialist question for yourself, Jez, because if there's one thing that differentiates you and I, it's the amount of times you've been injured, my friend. And generally, we'll both be very surprised uh, as to why you're injured. And then after a couple of questions like, have you upped your mileage and are you doing anything different? Is your speed work different? We generally find out uh, that that was the root cause, don't we? That's correct. Maybe Rachel can help me this time around. Hey everyone, Rachel Run 180. So in the RAV Challenge topics today, I want to cover running injuries, their treatment and prevention. As a sports physiotherapist, it's why I got into researching about how to both treat and prevent running injuries. So running injuries, everyone, like most injuries, occur because of three key reasons. So technique, which I definitely want to cover with you. Too much too soon is such a common reason for getting injured. And then the third one, everyone, which I'm also going to cover is basically we need enough strength and enough flexibility in the body to then enable us to be strong enough and mobile enough to adopt the correct technique and to start slowly and surely, and then we won't get injured. I mean, just aside here, everyone, I'm at home in sunny Barbados doing this in front of my parents' house. So uh, bear with me with a little bit of traffic. But yes, indeed, running injuries. Uh, quick statistic for you. Two thirds of all of the runners in the world do get injured. So again, it's because technique, too much too soon, and not enough core strength and stability mobility. 
So let me now cut into the next topics, into the next videos. So jump in on that next email or that next post and let me show you a few tips on technique, strength and mobility and how to graduate your, let's call it, um, journey into running or journey back from injury so that we can get you running comfortably again. Run 180, run, uh, running made easy. It's, it's all about good technique. So what I'll do is I'll cut to that in the next one and we'll go from there. Okay, cool. Over and out. Hi, I'm Kiri Lee. I'm one of the co-founders of Run Against Violence. One of the questions that I get asked frequently is, where did the idea for the virtual challenge come from? It came to me at 3am in the weeks before I did the solo run from Broken Hill to Sydney in 2017. I had been thinking for weeks about ideas for engaging the broader community in the run from Broken Hill to Sydney. I wanted to take everyone on the run with me. <laughs> I really wanted people to be able to share the experience with me as much as possible without them physically being there. And it was literally a 3am thought bubble that I sat up in bed and I thought, oh, what about a virtual challenge? I had no idea what a virtual challenge was. Let's be frank about this. I hadn't even barely heard of the term <laughs> until that point in time. So I jumped on Google the next morning and started researching and started asking some questions. A few days later, someone introduced me to Travis at Run Down Under. I explained to him what I wanted to do in terms of the big picture of what we were trying to achieve. And he immediately jumped on board and donated his platform to us. He donated hours and hours and hours of programming to adapt his platform to our requirement. So let's be really clear about this. There is nothing in this world like the Run Against Violence Virtual Team Challenge. There is nothing of the scale. I've looked. Nowhere else in the world is there teams of up to 20 people racing each other across a 1,300-kilometre course. It's epic. It's huge. And the technology didn't exist to make it happen. In the first year, we used spreadsheets to manage all the teams and the team captains put in a huge amount of hours to make it possible. Slowly, the technology is catching up and each year we're getting better and better at our systems. But really, the technology is only a very small part of what the virtual challenge is about. The most incredible part of the virtual challenge is the community that has grown from it. And that is you. You are an amazing human being for turning up here and being willing to be part of this community and part of the change process. It's phenomenal. We know that's why you keep coming back is we have this incredible, mind-blowing, passionate group of humans that are all taking steps together to end family violence.